0: You're listening to the free preview episode of On Belief, a podcast about cults by Karen Geyer. To hear the entire episode, go to patreon.com forward slash Karen Geyer, K-A-R-E-N-G-E-I-E-R and sign up. It's only $5 for the entire series. Who was raised in Quiverful? She has firsthand knowledge of the indoctrination and the messages that are sent specifically to girls raised in Quiverful. It's a very illuminating conversation. Welcome, Heather. Part two. Last week, I spoke to a woman named Catherine Joyce who wrote a book about Quiverful. This week, I spoke to a woman named Heather Doney. Heather, tell me about what it was like for you to grow up in Quiverful
1: so i grew up in new orleans um, as the oldest in a family of 10 children and my parents would say that they were bible believing christians Um, they would not use the term quiverful but if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck it's a duck Um, we were pseudo homeschooled um, until i was in ninth grade and then, due to a family intervention, all of us were put in public school. I was the only one who learned how to read um, while we were being homeschooled. But there was a, a good amount of church influence. There was a good amount of uh, Christian homeschoolers group influence. And there was uh, a lot of uh, quiverful and Christian patriarchy ideology and and community in what I had growing up. Um, I moved out. Uh, When I was 17 years old, and I got far away from it, or what I thought was far away from it, turns out you can't leave these kinds of things. Just if it's your formative experience, if it's your upbringing, it'll come back to you. You have to deal with it. And it was while I was in grad school, um, I went to uh, I went to Brandeis, and I got a master's degree in public policy. And it was while I was in graduate school that I started getting nightmares and flashbacks. And I ended up going to therapy. And it was while I was kind of re-examining my past that I realized there is a name for this. This is a, a whole structure that exists within our society and it's very cultish. And so it was in kind of examining it from that lens that I started doing advocacy work related to it. And I did some original research related to homeschooling and laws in the United States and child abuse issues. So that's kind of what I bring to the table today.
0: How does Quiverful approach the lives and education of children? Children
1: are an arrow that you're going to send out into the world as part of the culture wars. Uh, So you're training them to be this arrow from a young age. So having a lot of personality is not very desirable. Having a lot of obedience is Um, It's also very gendered. What boys are expected to do when they grow up and what girls are expected to do when they grow up are not the same thing. So at the very beginning, you have blanket training, you have playpen playpen training, where the parents will put a little baby on a blanket or in a playpen and the child is supposed to stay there within that space and not cry and not be upset and to to be content within the space they're, they're supposed to stay in. And if they're not, they often will be hit with a little switch on their legs. So it starts off very young, very controlled. Um, then as you get older, if there's no birth control being used. Now some families are Christian patriarchy, and maybe they won't have as many children, or or maybe they can't. You know, there's fertility issues, things like that. Um, but for quiverful families, you're generally looking at another baby every year and a half, two years. So as you get older, there's a lot of mouths to feed. There's a lot of diapers to be changed. There's a lot of often unmet need because a lot of these families are not rich. And even if they are, by the time you've had eight, 10 kids, you, you aren't no one, cause no one could be. So you have a lot of, uh, it, there's a lot of dishes. There's a lot of laundry. There's a lot of, um, expected to be, to be like a miniature adult in the level of chores that, that you do. And that's, and there's also, There's a lot of indoctrination, a lot of, a lot of shaming. Um, There's especially a lot of shaming around sex and sexuality and around um, anything, anything seen as sinful or willful or, or having a bad attitude, having a bad attitude was a huge one. If you say, I don't want to do this, or I don't like this, like expressing dislike um, that can get you in a lot of trouble. You're supposed to just be joyful and happy and obedient and, really there's very little to be happy and feel obedient and joyful about and so it's very it's very confusing for a child because your your natural impulses are being really pushed down and you're being encouraged to to kind of go against what are natural developmental stages for a child
0: what kind of punishments would say a 5-year-old child expect you would get a spanking um or you may be threatened
1: with a spanking. You probably will, you probably will be told you'll get a spanking if you keep it up. And then you will if you do it again, that's seen as willful disobedience and you will you will get a spanking. Your spanking, it could be some churches say don't do it with a hand because hands are for love. So you have an implement that you'd give the spanking with. It would be a wooden spoon or a belt or or a switch or Uh, rubber tubing or a glue stick different people actually will will have debates on which ones are better but it'll be where you know a small child like that might get like one or two hits with it an older a child a little bit older will probably get more Um, someone who's getting one as a teenager would probably get a lot but it it depends on the family it depends on what ends up being normalized I mean I think of little Lydia Schatz she was uh, an adopted girl, and her her parents um, gave her spankings for I believe it was it there was her and there was another one. Um, they I believe it was for mispronouncing a word. I, th- I think that that's what it was, and she was spanked until she ended up developing hemorrhages and she died. And so I mean these things, the that is a, an extreme example, but these things do happen. It's very common um, within this movement for children to get. Get hit enough to where they have wilts on their bottom, they have a hard time sitting down.
0: Talk to me about homeschooling. What gets taught in a homeschool environment typically for Quiverful kids? That's actually, I think, one of the biggest topics that need to be discussed when it comes to the Quiverful
1: movement because the Quiverful movement right now in the United States owns homeschooling. You have an organization called the Homeschool Legal Defense Association. And they've worked very hard to deregulate homeschooling in many states around the United States. So you have 10 states that have no regulations at all. No one will ever check on you if you're homeschooling. They won't check and make sure that your boys are, that your boys and girls are getting the same level of education. They won't check and make sure your kids are learning how to read. They won't, they, like it's, it's anything goes. And in the states where there is some regulation, it's often very minimal And even in states where standardized testing is required, most of the time the parents can administer the standardized tests themselves. So, I mean, you can end up with extreme cases like, say, I don't know if they were quiverful or not, but the Turpin family, there was an abuse case that came out recently where they had 17 children, like, locked up in the house. And so you can, it's rare, but you can get those kinds of things that can happen because of the total lack of regulation in a lot of places. And... So within that space, you actually have a lot of um, more issues with lower quality education because no one's really checking. So, I mean, you know, if your kids are not up to, you know, maybe they're a few months behind in the curriculum and then suddenly it's a year and then it's two years. And that's kind of what happened in my family. Like I learned how to read, but my sister next in age did not learn how to read. And I mean, that may seem rather crazy, but it, it, within that sphere, if there's no, nobody really pushing for it, it happens. And so it's, and then among the curriculums that are sort of pushed by the homeschoolers group, um, most of the time within um, like fundamentalist Christian homeschoolers group, the important thing is to have a statement of faith. So you belong to this group that's all signed up for the same statement of faith, but nobody interferes with the education of anybody, of another family. They'll recommend certain books, but often what's being recommended is problematic. You'll have a Becca. As a curriculum, you'll have ACE as a curriculum. Neither one of those are things that that's very much propaganda. And you also will have books like to train up a child, which is essentially a child abuse manual. And it refers back to, you know, the kind of discipline that I was talking about earlier. And so you get you get a lot of those sorts of of things that will end up infiltrating in. And you have a lot of like um, courtship teachings, things like that, that'll come through the homeschoolers groups. So, when it comes to education, it's it's often more indoctrination. And even parents that are, you know, very capable, very interested in in really teaching their kids and really being involved will often end up um, teaching their kids creationist um, literature or even something by a, say, a man like Bill Gothard. He was recently kicked out of his uh, his organization for the Institute of Biblical Life Principles. Because he'd been found to be being inappropriate with like over 30 young women that had been previously homeschooled. And he had a curriculum that he came out with that was pretty much like it set people up to be psychologically abused and to be been abused in other ways. And and so you have a lot of these kind of toxic teachings that make their way in. And then you also have sometimes where if a parent's having a lot of kids, it might end up being where you suddenly have your kid working for the family business just to try and stay afloat. And they're not getting an education because you're trying to survive. And that happens.
0: What do you think are the political reasons why quiverful families homeschool their kids? Well,
1: I, I think it's, I think it comes down to, so homeschooling is a way to kind of, it was a crack that was seen in society, I, I think. And it could be, it was sort of, you see this crack you widen it, and then you can drive a freight train through it. And that's essentially what they've done. Homeschooling homeschooling networks have been the backdrop. If you look at, say, a politician like Michelle Bachman, there was a huge fight that had happened with her and some other poli- pol- like political actors related to a homeschooling mailing list. And it was a, a list of names that had been stolen in, in the course of some political activity. And you would think maybe this wouldn't be that important. But these families, once they've banded together... They will go work for any politician who's extremely right wing, who's who's into the quiverful movement ideology, who promises to further deregulate homeschooling, who promises tax breaks and credits. There's a reason why um, current like President Donald Trump has has said these things has has gone on with that. Those families have gotten behind him. They've gotten behind Mike Pence. they've gotten. Like they've helped get a lot of people elected in a lot of places. So it ended up being, becoming a very powerful thing for quiverful actors to, to get power in a community and then to move up through the political structure. And that's ultimately the goal. And so I think that homeschooling was just, it was, it was a tool. It also was because there, there was a lot of people, I think when it first started, where they were not interested in sending their their kids to uh, to mixed schools, they wanted segregated schools. They wanted these little Christian schools. And then when there were laws that were passed that changed the requirements for Christian schools, they started homeschooling as a as a reaction to that. There also was a lot of there's a a big thing where they're they're very against um, evolution being taught in schools, and they're very against sex ed being taught in schools. And those are the two topics that they think are, they would like to protect their children from.
0: And what was homeschooling like for you when you were growing up?
1: I did a lot of cooking. I did a lot of cleaning. I did a lot of paperwork for my dad's business. I didn't, as far as education, there was very little. But when my grandparents intervened, I didn't know how to tell time on a clock with hands. I didn't know who all the presidents were. I didn't, like, I could say more about what I didn't know than what I did, and it was, and and socially, socially I had no skills at all. I didn't know how to talk to people my own age, I didn't know how to be around them, I didn't know what was appropriate to do and not appropriate to do. I was, I was really a sitting duck for abuse when I first started uh, high school in ninth grade. I remember I got on the bus and I handed the bus driver a note from my mom and said, my mom said to give you this, and the whole bus laughed because nobody does that in ninth grade. You're at a very different developmental stage, and I wasn't allowed to to participate in that. And so it was a it was a very it was a very difficult transition to just learn all the things that I had missed. And I think for my younger siblings, they missed even more. There was a lot of uh, there was a lot of remedial tutoring that had to happen, and I'm so thankful that I had grandparents that were able to do it. Um, One of the things I do think that I actually have been very good at due to the lack of education is my reading skills were amazing. Reading kind of saved my life. Writing often. Reading and writing were the things that kind of got me through it. And I also found that I'm a pretty creative person. I can build a lot of things out of other things. And that's the kind of mindset you end up you end up getting, I think, when your education is rather non-traditional, and you do have to to piece it together. So, I mean, there are some some good things that that came out of it, but for the most part, if I if there hadn't been an intervention, I would not have been able to graduate from college. I wouldn't have been able to. It would have been very, very hard. And I knew people that this happened to, and their lives have been very difficult.
0: For more on this episode, including the rest of the interview, bonus episodes and bonus material, including production notes, head over to patreon.com forward slash k-a-r-e-n-g-e-i-e-r. You can find Unbelief on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And you can visit the website at unbelief.com.